Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament and chapter number 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You can grab that Bible and and turn in it to page 166 in the back, and you would find yourself at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Since we are celebrating Awana, and Awana is all about children, I thought it would be good if we began with some fun Bible questions. Are you ready for some Bible questions this morning? Here's the first one. Who in the Bible could be called a mathematician? Who in the Bible could be called a mathematician? Well, Moses could. I mean, he wrote the book of Numbers, right? Yeah. Surprised you missed that one. Here's another one. Who was the straightest man in the Bible? The straightest man in the Bible. Who would you say? Well, the answer would be Joseph. I mean, Pharaoh made him a ruler, right? Yeah. Now you're just starting to wake up. Okay, here's my, my last one. This is the one I enjoy the most. What kind of man was Boaz before he was married? What kind of man was Boaz before he was married? What's that? Single. That is an answer. Thank you, Kyle. That's not the one I was after, though. He was ruthless, of course. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, what we want to do is take a few moments to look at, as you heard, what is the foundational verse of Awana. And Awana stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. And that verse is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. And it is a foundational verse for Awana. But it's also a foundational verse for Wildwood Community Church. So if you have your Bibles open, I want to read verse 15, invite you to follow along in your Bible as as I read what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, there's a lot in this verse, and we're going to just take a few moments to unpack it. We're going to look at three things. First of all, we're going to look at the context of chapter 2 and verse 15, and then we're going to look at the challenge that I believe that God was giving to the writer uh, that uh, through Paul to Timothy and also to us and to believers throughout the ages. And then we're last going to look at the key to the verse. So you've got the context, we're going to look at that, we're going to look at the challenge, and then we're going to look at the key. So let's begin by looking at the context. And if you've been around Wildwood, you will know that we emphasize this a lot, that context is always, always, always important. We need to understand the context. I I read about a lady down in Texas who decided that she wanted to enter into the primary election for governor of Texas. Really, in essence, anybody can 
can jump into a primary. And so she said, I want to run in the Democratic primary for the governor of the state of Texas. And several people had decided to run in that primary. And uh, when she actually saw the official listing of names that would be in the primary election, she saw that her name was last on the list. And just that week, she had been reading in her Bible, and it said this, many that are first will be last, and the last first. And she said, you know what? That is a sign from God, from the Bible, that I am going to win the Democratic primary in Texas. Guess what happened? She lost. Someone said it over there. She lost. Well, what's the point of all of that? Well, without a context, you can't really understand what a verse means. And obviously, the context from Matthew 19 of many that are first will be last, and the last first has nothing to do with the gubernatorial Democratic primary in Texas. And yet you can take the Bible and not really understand what it means unless you examine the context. And so that's what we want to do for the next few moments. We want to look at the context of this verse. And the context is a context of false teaching. When Paul says what he says in verse 15, it's in this environment of false teaching. Look at verses 17 and 18. He talks about there how their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and that they upset the faith of some. The context is one of false teaching, and what an interestingly graphic picture he gives. He says, as they have gone astray from the truth, part of what they teach, their talk, that is false talk, is like gangrene. Now, I considered this morning showing you some photographs of gangrene. If you Google gangrene and you Google images, you'll get some very interesting pictures. Um, but I decided that wouldn't be very much fun for any of us. They're very, very graphic and very, very distasteful. But what an interesting analogy that Paul uses here, isn't it? He says this false teaching and its impact is like gangrene. It's just something that reaches out and grabs you. You know, gangrene refers to the death and the decay of body tissue. And gangrene can be caused a couple of different ways. It can be caused by an injury, that you receive an injury to your tissue, and then gangrene can begin. Or it can be caused by an infection that you might get in your tissue, a staph infection or a strep infection. And we've all seen the news about the earthquake in Haiti and some of the injuries that people got. What they really never said on the news is the primary thing they were worried about was gangrene because people had some heavy gash injuries and the potential is there for gangrene to set in. And not only that, but even when you have an injury, there's the potential for a strep or staph infection to invade that injury and that would lead to gangrene. Now here's what, happened with, what happens with gangrene. If gangrene is unchecked, it will begin to affect the surrounding tissue. 
In fact, if gangrene hits your bloodstream, it can become life-threatening. It can cause fever, it can cause delirium, and ultimately can cause organ failure where your liver and your kidneys shut down. And he says this false teaching out there is, is like gangrene, and gangrene is out to infect and out to destroy and out to kill. And that's the essence of what false teaching does, the same thing. And if we're not careful about false teaching, it will infect and it could potentially destroy people's hearts and lives and certainly kill their spiritual life. So that is the context behind this verse that we see in verse 15. So let's look at the challenge that Paul sets forth for us, and we see that in the first part of verse 15. With that context in mind, he says, to those folks and to us, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. If you have an NIV, instead of saying be diligent, it says do your best. If you look in the New Living Translation, it would say work hard to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. This little phrase, translated be diligent or do your best or work hard, involves a persistent pursuit of a goal. We're going after a goal in a persistent manner. Same phrase is used in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 when it tells us as a body of believers that we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. We're to work hard at not having unresolved conflict in a church. We are to do our best. We are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. It's this word that is translated, be diligent, it just involves concentration. It involves zealous effort. It won't happen, you see, if we're just passive. If I were going to put my own translation to it, it might be something like this. Be industrious towards. Be industrious towards presenting yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Now, that last part about presenting yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, the concept there that he's communicating to you and to me is that we are to do our work in, in such an industrious manner that when it is submitted to the person in authority, we can submit it without embarrassment. That's the concept. And I want to remind you that we all understand that concept. Some of us are still in school. Some of us are still in college. And you understand that concept well when it comes to homework that you have to do or a project that you have to do. Those of us who are more ancient, can still remember the days when we had to do homework and we had to turn it in or we had to do a project and we had to turn it in. You remember what it was like? You know, if you take homework or some homework assignment or some project and you just simply blow it off, you kind of glide your way through it, how do you feel when you go to turn it in? Well, you feel uneasy because you know, I didn't really work at that, didn't really 
concentrate on that. I wasn't industrious when it came to that. And you're hoping that the teacher really won't notice or the professor would overlook it. But what happens, on the other hand, when you did some homework or you did a project and you put your whole heart into it? You know, you just sold out to work on that. And when you go to turn that in, what a contrastive feeling that you have. You think, hey, I did all that I can do. I worked hard. I took that seriously. And so you submit it without a sense of embarrassment because, you know, I did all that I could do. That's the idea here when he says to us that we need to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. That we're not going to be embarrassed when we see the Lord face to face. Well, what's the key to this? Well, I believe the key is found in the last part of verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Now, some translations come to that last phrase, and they would translate it correctly handling the word of truth, or maybe rightly handling the word of truth. Very interesting terminology that Paul uses in this verse. This term here, accurately handling, is a term of precision. It's a term of accuracy. This word was used outside of the Bible in a couple of different ways. It was used of plowing a straight furrow in a field. Outside of the Bible, it was used of cutting wood in a straight line. Outside of the Bible, it was used of sewing a straight seam. And if you've done all those things, you know it takes some industriousness to do that. You know, it's not just you get out in the field and you just blindly drive around to create furrows. No, it takes some industriousness, some diligence to plow a straight furrow. If you're going to cut wood in a straight line, it's just not something that happens haphazardly. Rather, it takes some care and some diligence to cut in a straight line. And if you want to sew a straight seam, it's going to take some industriousness, some care and concern to make that seam straight. Now, that's how this word is used outside of the Bible. But what's interesting is this is the only place in the New Testament that the word is ever used, the only place it is used. And it's only used two times In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, it's used two times in that, and one of them is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, which is a verse that many of us would notice as familiar, where it says, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. It's exactly the same word that we see here. So, Scholars even look at this and they say, well, what really did he mean when he was talking about handling accurately the word of truth? And I think there's a clue given to us in the book of Acts. So if you'll turn with me, several books to your left, to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 18, and I think we have a clue given to us regarding the sense of what Paul was communicating. Now in Acts 18, 
what happens is that Paul leaves the city of Athens and he comes down to the city of Corinth. And when he comes to Corinth, he finds in Corinth a fellow Jew by the name of Aquila. And Aquila is married to a woman called Priscilla. And here's what's interesting, if you'll notice down in verse 3. He gets to know these people, and it says this, because he, Paul, was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. So you see what happens is he comes down into a new city, and he meets Aquila and Priscilla, and he stays with them because Aquila and Priscilla had the same trade as Paul which was being a tent maker. And in that day, especially with young men, fathers would always teach their sons a trade skill. And Paul had been taught to be a tent maker. And Aquila and apparently also Priscilla were tent makers. Now really what tent makers were in that day was in essence leather workers because that's the way most tents were made in Paul's day using leather. And a leather worker would have these round-edged knives and these straight-edged knives. And the key to good tent making is that you would take those knives and you would cut the hides straight. When you cut the hides straight, then you would sew those hide seams together. And the whole key to tent making is that you would trim everything out so that all would fit precisely together so that it could protect you from the elements. And that is, I think, the idea and the emphasis that we see back in 2 Timothy 2.15 when he says that we are to accurately handle the word of truth. I think he's literally saying we need to cut it straight. We need to cut straight, he says, the word of truth. And the word of truth, of course, refers to the Scriptures. So what does it mean to cut straight the Scripture? Well, it means we need to be very careful with the context. We need to not read a verse and sort of jump to conclusions about its meaning. And if you've been around Wildwood, you know that's part of our heritage. We emphasize the importance of looking at God's truth in a clear context, if we are going to cut straight the Scriptures, it means that we need to teach the Word of God rightly, that we need to teach the Word of God soundly. And again, that has been a heritage over the years at Wildwood. It means that we need to, when it comes to the Scriptures, we need to get it straight and we need to give it straight. We need to give it straight to our children. We need to give it straight to adults. It means if we're going to cut straight the Scriptures, handle them in an accurate way, it, it means we need to be learning the Word of God, that we need to be memorizing the Word of God, that we need to be living the Word of God, where it doesn't just go in up here, but that it translates down into our life. This is the challenge that we are to handle accurately the Word of truth, cut straight the Scripture. That's part of it. But you know what's interesting? When you talk about the word of truth, you know that the word of truth includes the gospel message. 
In Colossians 1.15, Paul talks about the word of truth, comma, the gospel. And so if we're going to cut straight the gospel, what does that really mean? It means that we have a responsibility individually and collectively as a church family to guard the gospel. It is a very precious, destiny-determining message. And even over the last few weeks, we've talked about that as a church, the importance of us guarding the gospel, and not only guarding the gospel, but sharing the gospel. And that's one of the coolest things of all about Awana, the repetitive sharing of the gospel message to young hearts that are reachable and teachable. Approved workmen are not ashamed. That's what Awana stands for. And that's what Wildwood has stood for. Now, as you know, when we conclude a message, we like to talk about life application. And the life application I have for us today is just very simple. And that life application is continue the legacy. Continue the legacy. This has been true at Wildwood for multiple decades. It's been true in our Awana ministry for 25 years. And we need to continue the legacy. We need to continue the legacy on. And we need to do that without deviation. And men and women, I don't know what's going to happen. I doubt very seriously that this would happen in Norman. But if every other church deviates away from the Word of God and the gospel message that the only hope for mankind is found in the person of Christ and what he's done for us, Wildwood must not deviate from that. We need to continue the legacy. We need to continue with our commitment to understand the Word of God to apply the Word of God, and to proclaim the Word of God. And it's only when we get to heaven one day we're going to understand part of what God did through the Awana ministry here at Wildwood. And then you have 10 other churches, and no doubt there's going to be more that started this ministry. Who knows how the ripple impact of that we're never really going to know. But the commitment we need to have is to continue the legacy the legacy of the Word of God, and the legacy of the gospel message. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for this great time. We know it's very biblical to be able to recognize what you've done, to remember it, and to celebrate it, and that's what we wanted to do today. And we thank you, Father, for what you've done. It wasn't because we were such cool people, but simply because we had great concern for being approved workmen who are not ashamed, that we wanted to handle in an accurate way the Word of God, which is ultimately the instrument that changes hearts and lives, and to be able to guard the gospel message and continue to share it. We pray, Father, that you would allow us the privilege of continuing that legacy as long as we are on the face of this planet, all because because of the one who taught our heart to sing And that is the person of Jesus Christ. We pray he would be glorified and honored, and we pray in his name. Amen.